Hey there, Pastor Ben here, continuing with our study through the book of Amos. Today we'll be looking at chapters 7 and chapter 8. So up to this point, uh, we've seen Amos, who is just a simple shepherd, but the word of the Lord comes to him as a judgment against uh, all who fail to follow God's word, starting with uh, the foreign nations and enemies of Israel, but then Judah and Israel are not exempt from their sins. Uh, and really the word has been against specifically the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, their lack of justice in the way that they treat the oppressed and the needy, uh, their reliance on the physical goods that they have, and their empty relationship with God, the worship practices that they're doing that are meaningless. And so we see here in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 uh, that Amos has several visions uh, that are descriptions of things that are to come from God. Uh, and then we also see just the only bit of narrative in this whole book, which is an interaction between Amos and Amaziah, who is one of the priests uh, at these false places of worship. So in chapter 7, as it begins, we see this first vision. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. So this first vision is a vision of locusts swarming and coming, eating the crops. Um, it specifically points out the time of it being uh, when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout and after the king's mowings. Essentially what would happen is the first part of the harvest would go to feed uh, the monarchy, the rich, the people who um, had the privileges in life. And then these this latter growth would be to feed the common people. Uh, and for Amos, especially as one who, who lives in the country and is going to have more of a heart for uh, just the labor, the working class people, he calls out to God seeing this vision and says, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? Uh, using the name Jacob, calling back to uh, the covenant, the promise made to Jacob, um, not just to Israel, but but to call to God and say, Jacob, he is so small. He can't, he, we are not going to survive this, please. And so it says, the Lord relented concerning this. Now, we know this is not the only time that this idea of relenting because of the prayer of a prophet uh, happens. We see it happen with Moses and uh, the the people of Israel. And we even see it um, in, in a slightly different way with the story of uh, Abraham and knowing that uh, when he took his son Isaac up as a sacrifice, he said, God will, will take care of this. And so we see that God, uh, in his wisdom, in his uh, infinite power, he may plan or say, uh, set up something that is to happen, but um, we also know that in his mercy and his loving kindness that um, if that path should be uh, just too much to handle, that he will hear our cry. He will hear that uh, the call, in this case, of Amos saying that we can't do this, and, and he will choose a different path. And so the second vision so shows a different path a different way in which God is going to then get the people of Israel to uh, turn to him. So the second vision is this, verse 4. This is what the Lord God showed me. 
Behold, the Lord was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. So another relenting, another calling out. The picture here is that there is a judgment by fire, and that fire is so consuming, it is it is evaporating up. The deep, the great deep is not just any water, but likely talking about oceans, right? The the largest amount of water around. And it was eating up the land. It's a fire that's so hot that the land cannot stand it. This is a great, scary judgment. Um, Deuteronomy 32 describes God's wrath in that way, uh, that it's a great, all-consuming fire. And so seeing a picture of this, it terrifies Amos so much that he cries out again and asks God to relent. And so he does. But then in this third vision, uh, we see a a shift. The third vision starts in verse 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So a plumb line is basically a tool that has a heavy uh, piece at one end that comes to a very fine point, and it would be held by a string. And it was used in order to build walls that would be perfectly perpendicular to the earth by uh, means of seeing how gravity would pull that plumb line down. So essentially this vision is saying uh, anything that's gotten off track of God's perfect calling right, this plumb line, is going to be destroyed. And specifically, it calls out the high places of Isaac and the sanctuaries of Israel. These high places were places of pagan worship. Um, And they're mentioned many different places throughout the Old Testament. So that would be worship of false gods. Then the sanctuaries of Israel is talking about the empty religion, the the sacrifices and things going on in the places where uh, Israel was supposed to be worshiping God that too would be destroyed because it wasn't it was no longer uh, a place of true worship and so um, as we'll see as we get later into uh, chapter 8 this this and and as we've seen up to this point this false religion was just no longer going to be held as acceptable by god and then we see um the house of jeroboam right who is the current king of israel is also going to be destroyed jeroboam as king is not holding the priests accountable to what God says. The nation has gotten out of out of alignment, again, if we think about that plumb line idea. And so Jeroboam will pay a price for that. So this scene then, starting in verse 10, is interesting. It gives us a couple of uh, helpful thoughts as we consider just how strange the atmosphere that Amos is preaching into is. So verse 10 says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, again, a place of false, one of the key two places of false worship, Bethel and Gilgal being the two primary in the northern kingdom. He sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now what's interesting is that Amaz- 
Amaziah is saying things for himself to better himself. He did not quote Amos directly. He sort of paraphrased it, right? We just look back a couple verses, and he's he's interpreting Amos rather than uh, really saying what Amos is truly said, which, again, partial truths there, but we have to be careful that we don't let our interpretation of situations try to, to uh, help better things for ourselves, but to really truly look at what's going on and, and consider those messages and, and deliver them clearly. And then we see the conversation uh, between the two of them. And Amaziah said to Amos, Go see her, go flee away into the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. So being called Osir is not necessarily an offensive thing, but it is revealing to us what Amaziah thinks about Amos. He thinks that Amos is just someone who's going around prophesying for prophet, not prophet in the sense of being a prophet, but prophet like P-R-O-F-I-T, right? Trying to make money. So go get, go somewhere else, go get your bread from somebody else because we don't need any of that here. This is, this is the king's temple. And I'm in charge here, and I don't need you, A, saying things that aren't helpful for our kingdom, B, saying things that aren't helpful for me, and C, saying things that just don't seem to be true. Everything's going great. We have everything we need. Why are you prophesying this bad picture in this situation? So Amos responds, verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So again, Amos is pointing back to his origins. He's not trying to be a prophet for profit. He is pointing back to, hey, I was just a shepherd, I was just a dude, and God called me. And when God calls, I answered. Uh, again, giving credence to his statements that he's making, but also calling out Amaziah, who is not called by God as a prophet. Verse 16 says, Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, you yourself shall dine in unclean land, and Israel shall surely go away into exile from its land. So the, the consequence of Amaziah denying God's word, denying the true God, uh, we see listed out the consequences in verse 17, the things that would happen, that his wife would become a prostitute, his children would die, his land would be divided up, and that he himself would die, not even in Israel, and also that the nation is, is going to go away. Again, we know the Assyrians eventually invade and, and take over. And so it's just an important reminder. Uh, the rejection of God's word has dire consequence. Uh, so we, we must know it and heed it and take care uh, to follow it. Again, not out of fear of, of wrath like these people would have, but in, in knowing that that wrath is already poured out in Jesus and uh, the freedom we get in being able to follow God's word because uh, our, our sins have been removed.
Verse 8 picks up with one uh, final vision that goes along with the visions in verse seven, in chapter 7. Uh, the first few verses says this. This is what the Lord of the Lord, Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. Uh, this idea of the basket of summer fruit is not just like a random basket that has fruit in it, but it would be a basket that would be used to help ripen the fruit. And this is important for what this imagery is going to be. Verse 2, and he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people, Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. So this, this ripe fruit basket, again, we see no relenting here. We see the end of the nation of Israel, right? This, this fruit that's being uh, not just ripened, not, not just ripened naturally, but that there's um, a, a speed to this. So this is an imminent thing. This is not a destruction that's happening generations away. Like this is coming soon. That is what that vision is pointing to. And then through the rest of chapter 8, we see, uh, again, just a description of the sins and the judgments that come because of those sins. Starting in verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the epa small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Again, some of these imageries we've already seen earlier, but the idea of uh, false balances, false weights, making things making things that are not valuable seem more valuable, like the chaff of the wheat and taking things that are uh, valuable and, and lessening what they are so that they are able to hold on to right, all of this, um, all these these commodities and these uh, riches and keep the poor oppressed. Because of this, verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Again, describing this ultimate judgment, day of the Lord, uh, a judgment for the current people as their nation is going to be destroyed and, and also pointing to just how bad the judgment is coming at the, the return of Christ uh, when the entire world is judged. A lot of these these pictures echo what we hear in Revelation as well as in the other prophets as we think forward to that, that final day. And then a devastating uh, picture here in verse 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So uh, not being able to hear from God ultimately is the worst situation to be in. Because at that point, we cannot hear the call of God to repent. We cannot hear 
uh, the, the, the mercy that he would have. When, when his word is removed, there is nothing that can help. And we see a description as the, the chapter closes out. Uh, it says, In that day the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. So again, the idea of, of young virgins, young men, people in their prime, cut down, not able to uh, really truly experience life. We know that the word of the Lord gives life. Uh, and so the, the people who have been called out by God to be different have totally abandoned him and have ended up in this place where uh, now... God has removed himself and said, you get what you deserve. Uh, but as we'll see in chapter 9, although God, for a time, abandons his people, we see that he is always coming to be uh, near to his people, and he is always involved in the restoration and the redemption of his people. And so um, let us consider just how to be thankful that we are not at a famine for the word of the Lord, but we have it available, right? Whether it's a book, whether it's an app, whether it's an audio uh, function, we have God's word and we have full and free and complete access to it. Uh, and so help us to uh, be grateful for that and uh, just to let God's word really truly sink into our hearts, into our minds as we meditate uh, on the scripture and, and all of the, the wonders that God calls us to.